Hello, 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 everyone. It's your girl, Leah V, and this is Tea with Leah V. This is episode seven, and this is going to be a very special kind of sort of bonus episode, um, and the episode is entitled, Who is Leah V? Tea with Leah V has no rhyme or reason. It's just friends or me talking shit, and you are, in, you are indirectly invited Today, today's episode is about how I came to be. So I don't know why I'm so nervous. I feel like uh, I'm going to take this off. Um, I'm so incredibly nervous right now because this is going to be an episode that's very, very, uh, I don't know. This episode is going to be very deep and um, I think it was easier for me to do this with co-hosts and I'm so glad that I was able to um, do it with my friends and, and amazing guests and people that I really fuck with like that. But this is, I think a very different domain for me because, um, it's been a, it's, it's been a long process in the making to get to this point. And so I wanted to do a bonus episode or a solo episode just so that people can understand who I am. Um, I think the earlier episodes we were talking more about situations and uh, how we move through the world but this particularly is going to be uh, a little deeper <laughs> still full shenanigans don't worry but uh, I had to take a deep breath before I started because you know telling your story and being vulnerable is something that I'm, I'm working working on as someone who's 35 and has you know told her stories through a memoir and stuff like that so this is going to be interesting so i know we don't have a lot of time because um it would take such a long time to get through my life like to really really dig deep into who leah v is we would need a long long time because i'm still growing i'm still learning and um yeah so let's just get into it um so let's start with the beginning how um, I came to be how I was born, uh, in August of 1987. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I grew up in Detroit and, um, my mom and dad were not together. My mom and dad actually weren't Muslim at all. And, um, I guess how they came to be was, they were just fucking honestly, <laughs> like, I don't really think there was love there. So I'm not a love baby or a love child. I think that, uh, they were just fucking. My mom was definitely came from an interesting household. My dad, I don't know much about him other than that. He is a whole entire dick. Uh, and yes, I have mommy daddy issues. Let's just put that out there. I have mommy daddy issues real bad, <laughs> like real bad. <laughs> so um, that's messed up. But hey, it's the truth. So yeah, mommy daddy issues. They was fucking. I came to be. Um, I found out that, well, my mom told me when I was, I think a teenager that I was to be given up for adoption. So yeah, that was a thing. And, um, I, I don't know. I grew up feeling a little bit of an outcast, a little bit that I didn't belong. You know, uh, my dad would hurt my feelings quite often by leaving me, uh, kind of stranded. I, I had this idea of who he was and my little child little childhood and I thought that he was the greatest thing and he could save me from what was happening at home with my mom um, and I want to preface this by saying that I, that I feel like my mom did the best with what she had so I know people think I attack my mom all the time and or because I don't talk about her that um, I just you know don't appreciate what she did and I, I do truly believe that she did the best she had with what she got and I'm sure a lot of mothers could can agree but that doesn't uh, take doesn't belittle the fact that shit happened and it was very traumatizing for me. Um, whether people want to believe it or not, this is my truth. And if you have anything to say about that, you could, uh, make a rebuttal podcast, but yeah, I was, I, there was some trauma there. I'm not going to get into details, but, um, yeah, some stuff happened that I probably shouldn't seen, uh, and that my siblings shouldn't have seen either, but you know, growing up, um, with a very, mom who also experienced trauma and stuff like that. And my dad probably experienced trauma or AKA sperm donor. Um, it, it just was, it was a perfect storm. Right. So she told me that I was to be given up for adoption, that she didn't want to have any more children. And here I, uh, pop in and my grandma actually named me 
Uh, she named me Leah. My mom, I'm the only one of my children that my mother did not name. So that's where Leah came from. Uh, so yeah, uh, that happened. And I, you know, my mom got into a slum, which was very interesting. Um, I was, I was, I was young and, you know, I think she converted when I was like six. My sister was like maybe 11, I think. Uh, and so I, I, I wasn't born Muslim, but I definitely uh, was have, have been Muslim for a long, long time. And so, yeah, that happened. And I remember wanting to wear the hijab a lot. I thought it was a sign of beauty. I thought it was a sign of um, just like queendom, right? And I, I still do think that even now as an adult, um, if it's your choice to do it. Uh, <laughs> so I, I always thought that's what it was, but I never understood why we were doing it. And I never understood that once I put it on, that was it. There was no, there's no going back. There's no taking it off. And so I started to resent it. I felt like a lot of decisions that were made religiously when I was a child, uh, they weren't explained to me. Um, or I didn't get it, or I felt that I didn't have a choice. But nine times out of ten, I didn't have a choice, right? Because, you, you know, when your parents are in a religion, you kind of have to go along with it, right? And so I never felt like I had a choice with the hijab. So it became like this this push-pull of, um, I don't want to do this. I'm othered. I'm different. I want to be like the other kids. And, and, and that happened with my battle with hijab, actually, that... <laughs> stemmed decades after that and it started when I was when I was younger and I felt like I was being othered and people kids would, would, would tease me and call me none on top of that I was homeschooled uh, a lot of people don't know that but I was homeschooled and which made me even more weirder which is why I'm probably so off the wall now is because I was homeschooled and um all the way up to high school I never been to public school not one time so a uh, little fun fact for you guys uh, so yeah, I don't know. I, I don't want to get too much into childhood trauma because I think that would take longer than I anticipated. And also I want to get through the rest of my life and how I came to be. Um, I feel like we all have childhood trauma and I don't want to dump that on you guys. And also I don't feel like I'm ready necessarily to get into the details of it. I will say is that I have, um, I have a memoir out. Uh, unashamed musings of a fat black Muslim cop it because I think that you'll get to know me a lot more if you see uh, some of the stories about how I grew up and stuff like that but yeah so yeah mentally ill mom no daddy you know the usual african-american experience uh, <laughs> unfortunately <laughs> that's not funny at all but it, it's it's a common experience that motherfuckers just be feeling you continuously like fuck can I get a goddamn break what type of cards have I been dealt? Uh, and so, yeah, so that happened. And so when I was younger and I felt othered, I found myself diving into science fiction novels um, like R.L. Stein and C.S. Lewis and, and just different books that I can kind of get away from my reality. Like, I think that's why I write dystopia now and, I, and I'm such a great writer now because I was, a, I was an avid reader. Um, I would read, the library was, was my safe place. And I would ride my bike in E-Course, you know, shout out to E-Course downriver in Michigan. I would ride my bike after homeschooling and I would go hide, literally hide in the library. The librarians knew me by name because I would be in there like every day. And it was my safe space to kind of escape from the realities of, of what was happening in my life. And so that's where uh, baby author Leah V, um, that's how she began. That's how she got started. And in my love of words. I even have stories tattooed on my wrist because um, stories honestly saved my life uh, when I was younger, when I was uh, a little bit older, and also now. So I love a good story and, and, and I would not be here without stories. I would be in a very, very bad place. So um, yeah, so after I graduated from homeschool, me and my mom had a falling out, uh, unfortunately, and I just could not bear to live with her any longer. I was 17, going to school, doing my thing. I wasn't a bad kid at all. Like when I tell you I was never a bad child, I was the model citizen child. 
And I felt like my mom was treating me as if I was just a bad child. Uh, but I think that she was losing grip. She was losing grip of me. And my mom, you know, she's a Virgo. They're very controlling. It's their way or the highway. And uh, I just, as you start getting older, you start wanting to do your own things. And I'm also, I'm a Leo, so I'm hard-headed. And uh, I just feel like she was losing grip of me uh, and her control. She would use things to control, like cars or like money and stuff like that. And I was like, fuck your car, fuck your money. I don't want nothing from you. I will sleep in a dumpster before I live with you. And it was, when I tell you it was dead ass, when I tell you I was dead ass serious, I was like, I'm so sick of you in this world you created that I no longer even want, I don't even care about anything at this point. I will survive myself. I don't need shit from you. And I left home at 19. I just packed a duffel bag and I didn't run away. I just was like, I'm sick of this shit and I'm leaving. And I never went back after that. It was very difficult um, being in college with not a lot of family support. Um, it was hard. Uh, I wished some of the elders in my family reached out. I wish that somebody would be like, hey, I see what's going on. Do you need a bill paid? Do you need a meal? Uh, I found myself being a floater. Like I remember sleeping on the floor of like my aunt's bedroom. Um, I remember living, having my totes of clothes out of my Hyundai, my little beat up Hyundai. Uh, <laughs> like I would have my totes of clothes in there and just bounce from floor to floor. And um, it was very difficult. Mind you, I'm still in college. Mind you, I'm still working part time as a home health aide and um, just all over the place. Um, so I'm in college and don't really have a lot of support, not a lot of help. Like when I tell you I was making like 850 an hour, I was making 850 an hour, y'all. Like it was a fucking struggle and I don't know how I made it through, but I knew that I had to graduate so that I can get a job. Like that was always my main concern. So I was taking 18 credits per semester so that I can hurry up and graduate so that I can make money. Um, Cause I didn't have, there was no option B or B or C. I didn't have mommy and daddy's money. I didn't have grandparents that were, you know, reaching out and helping. So I had to make that shit happen. And, and I did, and people would feed me and uh, I would go from house to house, this house on Tuesday, this house on Wednesday, and I would eat dinner there. And um, sometimes it was like, I had to pick, choose between toothpaste and pads uh, and make the choice. Do I need toothpaste or pads or do I need a um, textbook? And it was really that bad. Um, I don't think people understand that, that, you see me now, you're like, oh, like, this is so amazing, like, da 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 But, like, I've had a really kind of interesting upbringing. I don't say it was, like, uh, I wouldn't say it was, like, the roughest, like, because I don't have, you know, that, the, the roughest story, but I've definitely been through some things, okay? Um, so, yeah, so I was in Detroit at Wingston University, struggling quite a bit. I was a loner. I was struggling. Um, I ended up meeting a boy. Um and I'm not ready to say that. Um, it's that that part's in the book. But I ended up meeting a boy, and I think with the pressures of religion. Um, well, first of all, I want to say that my ex ex husband, who I don't really openly talk about like this. Oh, this is a lot. Oh my God, why did I choose to do this? <laughs> why did I choose it? Let me take some water. Hold on one second. Um. <laughs> so yeah, I'm just gonna, I'm, I'm not gonna say everything. I'm just gonna say some things and I'm sorry to do this, but I don't want to make this like a whole 16 hour saga. So I'm trying to figure out what's relevant to the story uh, or my journey that you need to know. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I met a boy um, in Detroit and he gave me a sense of calm. He gave me a sense of just humor and my mom was married about nine, 10, 11 times. And when I tell you she's been married like over nine times, I'm not joking. My mom was married many, many times. So I'm coming out of adolescence with this mindset that men are in, men are disposable. They get you pregnant. They leave you. They're, they're not shit. And so I met a boy and we were both young and dumb and horny and 
religious and it, it was just the perfect storm. I will say that I truly loved my ex and I feel like he truly loved me as well. I feel like we were very codependent on each other. We got married super early. I think not understanding that it takes work to stay and be married. I think that he had a shit ton of mental illness and I had a shit ton of mental illness. His family is fucked. They still are. And they probably see this and I don't give a fuck. You guys are fucked up. Uh, my mom also was fucked up. Love her to death, but she was. I'm just keeping it a hundred. And just with the two family dynamics, us being super young, us trying to do the right thing of uh, stop sinning, right? Because, like, it, it's this pressure to get fucking married. That's why I don't believe in marriage right now. Like, I do not believe in marriage right now because I feel like Islamic communities uh, push and kind of force people to, to go down this route of marriage without nothing. No help, no 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 family help, no, no money, no health care, no conversations of what do you want in five to 10 years is get married because you're fornicating, you're sinning. And that's what our mindsets were. It's just like, okay, how can we be the best Muslims we can? That's it. Um, and Islam is great. Love it. Awesome. But there's other things that you have to know in life, uh, to, to make things good and whole and justifiable I don't think we had that. And many Muslims who get married super early, usually it ends in divorce very quickly. We have a very high divorce rate. Um, and seeing my mom's failed marriages, I was going into my very young and ridiculous fucking shotgun wedding um, with a very skewed mindset of what it was. But I know for a fact that I did not want to get divorced because I didn't want to be embarrassed. You know, it's like that, that uh, the D... Deal your forehead, divorce, you know, and red and bright red, you know, and I knew that if I married him, we were not getting divorced. And that's why we stayed together for 10 years, uh, married for eight. And that shit fell apart real bad. <laughs> like real shit, y'all. That's just embarrassing. Like at the end of the day, that's just embarrassing as fuck. But, um, yeah, so I ended up, um, married to him. Uh, at 19, I got married to him, I think, two weeks after I got my uh, bachelor's degree. Um, and so we decided to do it. There was no one there. It was in an empty living room in Detroit. It was really, really bad. Excuse me. It was really bad. Um, and I would never do that again. But of course, we had to hurry up and get married, you know, because we didn't want to keep fornicating and we loved each other. We thought we knew what the fuck we were doing. We did not know what the fuck we were doing. And um, we thought that love would take us far and loyalty would take us far. And it did. Uh, but at what costs? So I do not believe in marriage for that very reason, because I just feel like uh, we should have left each other a long time ago. Um, I don't have any hard feelings towards him as of now. His family can go fuck themselves um, forever, 100%. And they know who they are. And again, I don't care. I really don't. <laughs> like, it's like my entire, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, but seriously, it's like my dick. Uh, <laughs> just unhinged for no reason. Like, I will never forgive them for some shit that they they did and, and continue to do. They're just like not good people, like through and through. And it's like so many of them, and they're just not good people. And the people who know me, uh, and who know my ex-husband will know that they're not good people. Like you can ask anybody, they're just horrible people. Um, and that's fine. I've grown and I've and I've I've made my peace with myself, but they're horrible. And so that's five minute rant of how horrible they are. And if I told you some stories about how horrible they are, you guys would be like, that's some Jerry Springer shit. Like I when I tell you I'm not over exaggerating, and everyone knows that I do exaggerate, but these motherfuckers, the shit that they've done. Man, you be like, oh, and they didn't whoop her ass? Look, hey, I ask anybody, ask anybody, bro. I ain't gonna say no names, but if you know, <laughs> you know. Anyways, uh, so yeah, we got married and uh, we had that struggle love. And um, I during this time, I stopped writing, right? So I have always been a writer. Uh, I stopped writing because bills... Uh, because, you know, it's hard for artists, 
justly black artists to continue their work without income, right? So, you know, you have these trust fund babies in New York City who are like, I'm gonna do art for a year in Paris. And black ass niggas like me, we don't have that luxury. It's you you pay your bills, okay? You put gas in your car and you and you all that art shit is secondary. You know, all that creative shit is secondary. So for many, many years, I gave up writing. I gave up storytelling. I gave up my dream of being a novelist because I didn't have no fucking money. I didn't have a community telling me that I could do it. Anytime I would tell someone that I was writing a book, so I wrote my first book at 16, um, Anytime I would tell anyone that I was writing a book, like whether it was my black family members or if it was like the Muslim community, they would shun the fuck out of me. Like I even, at one point I, I even got kind of shunned for going to college. They were like, oh, so you think you're better than us and you think you're better and da, da, da. I'm like, how? I'm trying to better myself, my nigga. Like, really? I'm trying to, I think I'm better than you because I'm going to get an education? That's wild. And so I, when I tell you I did not have support like that, I really did. Like I am clearly like y'all talking about Kylie, Kylie Jenner, self-made bitch. I'm, I'm self-made like, right. I'm self-made. Okay. Like, come on now. Like I have to be my own fucking cheering section because niggas would constantly, anything I would do that was like creative, it would be a fucking problem. And that's, we'll get into that another time. Uh, but yeah, so I didn't have that. And, um, I feel like the worst times in my life was when I was not writing. Uh, the worst times in my life where I hit rock bottom were times where I wasn't being my true self. Uh, I wasn't telling stories. I wasn't comfortable talking about sex. I wasn't comfortable doing any of those things because people just always shunned and bullied me and made me feel like a piece of shit when I would try to express myself. And I'll ask questions and that's really fucked up thinking about it. And now I'm thinking like how many other women feel the same way or how many other religious people in the community feel that they can't say anything because of what other people might say. And I think that is why I started, started this podcast. Uh, this is a passion project of mine. I literally don't have any <laughs> stakes in this. Like, I spent all the money on the equipment and, you know, the setup and, um, it's free. Everyone's donating their free time to this. And it's a passion project. Cause I feel like even though like you guys are like, Oh, like you tell your life online or on Instagram and you know, you're so open and vulnerable. And, but am I though? Like real shit. Um, I feel like with, with the boom of, boom of Instagram and even how Instagram is going now, I feel that I still have been holding back and I think that this is a testament to me evolving and not really giving a fuck about what anyone has to say at this point and I know I'm going to get hate and fucked up shit said to me because I'm talking about sex or talking about my family or talking about mental illness and I just don't give a fuck and I think that I am truly in my villain era like this is truly my time to really be vulnerable and take it to the next level. And I am so fucking scared and I'm going to start crying, um, but I'm going to keep it in because I don't want to look, look like a baby bitch toad. Um, I am tired of um, being scared and um, <clears throat> let me calm down because I don't want my makeup to run because I have a thing to go to uh, in about 45 minutes. Uh, but yeah, I'm sick of being fucking afraid of everything. I, I just want to be myself in whatever form that is. And I also want other people to be themselves too in whatever form that is. So yeah, fuck everybody. That's in, in conclusion, fuck you. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, yeah, so back to my journey. So uh, I grew up in the Detroit Muslim community and I thought that I would find solace and I thought that I would find hope and love and community and I thought I would find all these things in the Detroit in Highland Park check that Muslim community the black Muslim community and I and I didn't find anything what I found was y'all gonna be mad at me <laughs> uh what I found was jealousy what I found was division what I found was misogyny 
that I found was is sexual abuse, toxicity, anger, classism, and lack of support. That's what I found in the uh, Detroit and Highland Park Muslim community. Um, and anyone who's been there understands exactly what I'm saying right now. Yeah. Um, and I tried really hard to fit in. I really did. But I was met with walls. I was met with otherness. I was met with anger um, and lack of support. What I will say about the community that I came from is that there are as many fingers on my hand, the people that I trust back home and that I still fucks with to this day. And, and that's out of hundreds. I find the community in Detroit to be incredibly toxic, incredibly harmful, incredibly traumatizing. And there's trauma that I got from the Muslim community uh, in Michigan that I'm still that, that I still carry today. Um, and I don't fuck with really nobody from Detroit other than a handful of people uh, that I still call friends and, and, and they check up on me and stuff like that. But the rest of you guys can really go fuck yourself. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Like, I don't think how, I don't think Islamic communities know how toxic they are. They just sit there and then they cover shit uh, with smell, with fragrance. It's a pile of fucking shit. And they cover it with fragrance and they cover it with misogyny. They cover it with the word of God. They cover it with a sense of community and togetherness. And you see their Facebook page. And you see their Instagram page. I'm like, oh my God, they're so Islamic. Oh my God. And they're really fucking dark and black. Just a black heart. Just tar. Tar. And uh, they really did a, uh, did a number on me. Uh, to, the, the, to the extent that I don't even claim them. I don't claim being from that community or communities there. I don't talk about them openly. Uh, and again, they know who they are and exactly what they've done and what they still continue to do and how they just are weights on an ankle. Like that's, that's, the, that's the best way I can explain it. And they just bring you down. Um, and I hope and wish the best for them, but I can never be involved with the community that does that. Um, and I'm not going to even get into like the transphobia and, and, and all the, uh, the homophobia that goes on in the Muslim community, especially the one. Uh, where I come from it's just like it's disgusting honestly and I don't wish to be a part of any Muslim community that uh, covers up abuse and neglect and and trying to twist the words uh, you know the Islamic words and words of the good book I'm not effing with that like and people call me a bad Muslim and and I'm like mm, are you sure though anywho uh so yeah I struggled through a bad community a community that wasn't supportive a community that wanted nothing to do with me and I started to rebel a little bit and by rebel I mean it wasn't even that much of a rebel, rebel y'all like literally I would just like wear black lipstick or like black like nail polish and people would look at me like I was just the devil incarnate like they just did did not get it um and it was really interesting because I was like a little bit of a trendsetter like back uh, in the back in the day. Uh, still am though. Uh, and the Muslim girls would hate on me so much, but then it would be funny because then they emulate me. Uh, and I'm sure they emulate me right now. Hmm. Anywho. Uh, yeah. So I started to write again. Um, so mind you, I was still married. We were still toxic fighting to three o'clock in the morning. Uh, <laughs> But I started writing again, right? And I, w I was writing secretly because no one supported me and I didn't feel like hearing no fucking shit. So uh, I started writing again and it felt right. It felt fucking good. And I'm just like, I like this. Now, mind you, the, write the writing that I was doing was very surface because I felt like as a Muslim wife, I should be holy and modest and good. And, you know, I didn't need to be doing all that extra, you know, raunchy writing or any writing that would shake the boat or, or embarrass my husband at the time. Uh, and so for some reason, Instagram, I started Instagram in 2013 and I found the hashtag plus size model. And when I tell you that that changed my world, um, it opened my world up from Midwest Leah who had eating disorders and body dysmorphia and hatred for herself. When I saw those hashtags and saw these women living their best fucking life, I was just like, wait a minute, that could be me. Like I can live my best fucking life. And at that moment it gave me hope, something that I hadn't had for a very, very long time. And I was just like, okay, I want to try to like 
be a blogger. So for all you newbies that are watching, all you Gen X or Gen Z, whatever they call y'all, Gen Z, I think. Yeah, I'm old. I'm a boomer myself. Um, I was just like, I want to be a blogger. Now we call them influencers. <laughs> but I was like, I want to be a blogger. Um, and so, yeah, I started like taking photos. And mind you, at this time in 2013, I was the first and only plus size African-American um, covered hijabi blogger and model, like literally the first. And I hope one day I get my flowers because uh, people treat me like really interesting, uh, even when I'm a whole fucking trendsetter. Um, and I don't think that I've gotten my flowers, which is I think why I'm pulling away from influencing and modeling right now, because I don't think they understand how iconic I am and how amazing I am and how one day I'll be in history books. And I'm not saying that because I'm a fucking Leo and I'm overly confident and I'm cocky as fuck. I'm saying that because I'm literally the first uh, to do many of things. Um, and because the industry is so nasty, so cruel, um, so fat phobic, so just like, ugh, they don't give me my flowers, but it's okay. I give myself flowers every day, baby. So anyway, I started blogging and just saying little stuff here and there. And, uh, my ex did not like that. He told me that I should stop modeling. And mind you, I was wearing really modest clothing. I wasn't doing anything crazy like I do now with my booty out. <laughs> um, and he did not like that. He did not like that I was dressing up. He did not like that I was wearing makeup. He did not like that I was wearing colors and showing my, you know, my little curves off. He did not like that. He told me that a Muslim woman is for her husband. And I told him, I remember what I told him. I told him that I'm an artist and artists are for the world. And I will never forget that line because he could not respond to it. He was just like, oh, and I'm like, artists are for the world. And I cannot, basically, I cannot be hidden. And so that caused resentment, I think, that festered into what it festered into. Um, so fast forward, I got a divorce or he divorced me. Uh, after he basically just long story short, cause we're running out of time. Uh, and we have lots to get through. Um, uh, <laughs> I might have to do a part two. So I might have to do a part two because this is getting long. This is longer than I expected. Like, wow. What are, are we at? Oh, we're only 30, 35 minutes, I think. Okay. Okay. Ah, okay. So, um, he basically, how can I explain this? like really, really quickly. Okay. So he basically, uh, tried to cheat once and that was a fucking fail. Found out about that and snipped it in the bud. I told him it's a fucking wrap cause I'm not here for the, for the, for the shits. Uh, and we got separated. He begged to come back. Uh, I said with therapy, we did therapy for a year. He was doing good. And then the other year came and he started being shady and I think women, women's intuition knows when a nigga is cheating. Like, I don't care what nobody say. Women's intuition knows when a nigga is cheating. That's it. So I knew he was being weird, but I don't think I wanted to come to the terms with that he was possibly cheating because I didn't want to believe it. But inside, I, I knew I knew that some shit was going down. Okay. So um, I found out that, well, he asked for the divorce first. He asked for the divorce while we were on our, on our way to Guatemala for a, a honeymoon. So he did it at the airport, like a fucking dick. And I'm just like, you couldn't have told me this, like cancel the trip and told me this, like, I don't know, uh, <laughs> before we got here. Cause like who would want to go on a trip, a honeymoon trip with their fucking ex where they just, well, when you just asked for a fucking divorce girl, child, woo child. Anyway, so that happened. The trip was a horrible. I was emotionally abused the entire time. We fought the entire time. Uh, I cried, I think more during that trip than I ever have in my life. My eyes were continuously on puff mode and he emotionally abused me the entire trip. Uh, and then continued to do so when we got back home for the three months that I was living with him until the divorce was finalized. So yeah, um, that happened, which is again, why I don't believe in marriage. Like you niggas be, be, be like switching up. I don't have time for that. That first one almost broke, broke your girl. No, ma'am. No, ma'am. Keep that shit. Love your weddings. Love it. Cute. Uh, do that. I'm not, don't involve me in shit. Don't ask me for marriage. 
Don't ask me for shit. I can do a partnership. I can do an exclusive partnership. That that about it. Don't ask me for no fucking marriage. Not happening because I don't believe in that shit. Anyways, um, <laughs> so yeah. So when we came back from the trip, I did not know that he was talking to another girl uh, who lived, I think she was Australian. So what happened is either she found, so I used to make posts on Instagram, like anniversary posts. Uh, I didn't really, I didn't really post my ex like that. Honestly, like I'm very secret. I'm very private when it comes to my dating life. Shut the fuck up. (laughs) So I am private. Like, so if there's somebody that I really, 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 really like, you will never fucking know about them because I'm private in that way. Like I tell dating stories and stuff like that, but that's because I don't give a fuck about these niggas. So if I don't care about you, bitch, I don't give a fuck. I'm telling on you the fuck um but if I really really like you I probably won't say anything because I just don't want to mess that up uh also bitches are shady as fuck clearly so anyway the girl that he is I think currently married to now I don't know if they're still married because I blocked him like years ago so I don't know if he's still married to her but I'm assuming he is uh because he's an Aquarius you know that they they be in it for the long haul but anyway uh so either the girl found him through my page or, excuse me, or um, a girl that I knew who was an influencer in Australia linked them up. I don't know how it happened, but I was the common denominator. Yeah, that's what social media influencing gets you. A divorce. <laughs> so, yeah, that happened. So, anywho, um, yeah, he married another girl three months later. And uh, that was that. And I saw the pictures of the wedding. Uh, actually, I was I was sent the pictures. Yeah. Somebody sent me, the, sent me the pictures. And I'm like, wow, this is what we're doing? We're sending photos. Mind you, the divorce was really hard for me because I didn't have anything. I had uh, two masters, no no savings, no job, no income, no nothing. Because, you know, in Michigan, it's, uh, the, the economy there is always fucked up. Also, I'm just floating. and I'm, I'm looking for jobs, y'all, but nobody's hiring. Yeah. So I was real destitute I had to get on food stamps I had to get on like Medicaid I end up moving into like an attic space with an amazing amazing gay teacher uh well he's a teacher but he's also gay and I did not know and I found him off Craigslist y'all so it was really crazy um that could have been that could have went really bad or really good so yeah I remember I remember when he uh, helped me move into into my new place and the rent was like four twenty five because your bitch couldn't pay for anything else. I barely could pay that. Uh, and he, I think I put this in my book too. I think this is very interesting. It's really funny. It's uh, just a little side note story. Um, how much more time do we have? Okay, we have a couple minutes. Um, he moves into, uh, he, he saw like the pictures of, of, my, of my gay roommate and he was just like, you're living with a gay man? And I was just like, your sister's a whore and sucks dick? He was like, ah! <laughs> Like, come on now. Like, don't play me. And don't play me. Because this is what, this is what we're not going to do. You're a whole ass cheater. Don't talk about nobody. So anyway, that happened. When I tell you I was torn apart when we got divorced, I was torn. I That was probably the lowest of the low moments for me to be a divorcee with nothing. And I didn't ask for alimony. I didn't ask for shit from him because I didn't want shit from him. Honestly, I wanted all, I wanted a clean break. And I remember waking up the next day after my divorce and it felt like a whole body was lifted off of mine. I felt so much lighter, although it was, I still was, I was going through like depression and anxiety and panic attacks and just what if, what, what do you do? I feel like a weight was lifted off of me and, and I, I knew at that moment that I would heal and that it was the right thing to do. Um, and so, yeah, I, I had to, uh, start, start life over again, um, without him. And I did it clearly. It was not easy though. And, and maybe we'll do an episode on divorce and stuff like that, because I feel like a lot of people go through that shit and like no one talks about it. Um, so yeah, I, was at a time where I was hurting really badly. So I wanted to kind of purge myself of all the evil and all the trauma that was inside of me. And what better way? Write a book. And so I didn't plan on writing a book. I wanted to write essays about 
people who, who hurt me and people who affected me negatively when I was six and 17 and, and 23. And I wanted to, I wanted to basically tell on everybody and also just get, get all that negative energy out of me. And so I wrote every day, um, when my roommate went to work, I would sit down at the table, look out the window and I would cry and write essays, cry and write essays, cry, take a nap, write an essay. And I did that for four months. And after the four months of me not really eating and not really doing much, but just writing, crying and, and purging myself of what the fuck just happened, I had a whole book. So I put the book away because I wasn't ready to tell on myself. I wasn't ready to face the world, you know? Um, and I wrote Unashamed, the book that's out now that got published in 2019. Uh, and I, and I remember asking God, I said, I'm going to put this book away. And if you want me to publish it, I'm going to need a sign from you. I, I remember saying that and I put it away. Uh, a month later I was, I wanted to, um, apply for the Gilda award. It's a, it's an award in, in, uh, Michigan for like writers and artists and stuff. And I applied for the non, the creative nonfiction category. And I, the first essay that I wrote for was an abortion essay. I got an abortion when I was 19, uh, a secret abortion when I was 19 that a lot, a lot of people don't know about, um, that I've come to terms with because it was really hard to come to terms with that, how it happened. Um, and that was the first essay that I submitted and, um, I, I let it go and I was like, Hey, if I'm going to win, I'm going to win. Um, if not, then we're going to see we're going to see what happens, but it's nothing to it, but to do it. So I did it. And, uh, yeah, I let that go. And, uh, I was diving more into modeling, diving more into what it looks like to be an influencer and a blogger. Right. So I did this video called Muslim girl dance. It's so cringy. <laughs> it's so cringy, <laughs> but I will give it to me. Baby Leah, she, she, she was doing her thing. Like it was like a time of self-discovery for me. Right. And so, yeah, I did the Muslim girl dance video, which is on YouTube and it went semi-viral. Uh, and everybody was like, what the fuck? <laughs> it's like a fat black Muslim girl, <laughs> uh, dancing in Detroit with a full face of makeup on just fucking dancing. And I'm just like, what? And it almost didn't get published. And I was like, fuck it, I'm publishing it. Because it was a whole thing about publishing it. And that, that's a story for, for another time. I published it and it was <laughs> janky. <laughs> but I published it. And it started like getting, people was like, oh, I fucked with this. Other people, people were giving me death threats. Some people fuck with it. They're calling me fat bitch. Uh, they hope my, hope God breaks my back because I'm Muslim and Muslims shouldn't be dancing. And I wasn't even twerking like I twerk now, y'all. I wasn't even twerking. And they was mad about it. I'm like, ugh. Um, and yeah, it went viral. And, and Yahoo and Madam, um, what, what's that magazine called? I'm forgetting. Anyway, all these magazines were reaching out to me. It was like, can we interview you? Uh, and I got flown out to do my first speaking engagement. And I was like, oh my God, like people care about me. And so I think that was like my first, that was like my first exposure of like, hey, like, you're amazing. You have shit to say. Like, bitch, use that shit. And I was like, get it. Okay. And so that happened. And it was amazing. And they paid me a little bit of money to do a speech speech at uh, the University of Ottawa. But I didn't care because I was like, I'm out here living my best life. And yeah, so then when I came back home, I got a call saying that I won the Gilder Award, y'all, for my essay, for my abortion essay. And I was like, Look at God. And that was God's sign of saying, bitch, get your book, get your book published. And when I tell you it after I sent out um, my book to over a hundred agents and editors and publishing houses, when I tell you in 24 hours, I had 10 to 15 agents emailing me, begging me to represent me as an agent. And I never had that before. I had two failed books before. And I was just like, this is your moment. Like, this is your fucking moment. And I just remember crying. Like I'm, emo I'm getting emotional now just talking about it because 
Um, I, you know, you know, sometimes you, you forget how amazing you are and like how much power you have. Um, and so, uh, let me stop before I start crying. Cause like, I need to, this makeup has got to stay. I got somewhere to be later. Cause I'm a cry baby bitch and I will cry like a fucking toad. And yeah, anyway, so that happened and I got a, I got a fucking book deal and, um, I was signed to Gelfman and Schneider, um, in New York city. And I was like, yeah, let's do it. Uh, so that happened. And then, um, yeah. So basically, um, I decided to move to New York. Yeah. <laughs> After all of that with my advance money. And that was hard. Like that was really fucking hard. Um, damn, that was hard. I think moving to New York was the second time I cried the most in my life because it was just too fucking much, man. And I was struggling with money and all the, the deals that I thought I was going to get when I fucking came here fell through. And I was like, rent is like so expensive here and I can't make it. And every day I would tell my friends and all my New York friends know, I would literally cry every day to them, to them and tell them I'm going back home. I'm going back to Detroit because I'm not fucking with New York city. Like for anyone who knows, like if you can make it in New York city, you can make it anywhere. And every New Yorker will tell you that because it is fucking hard here. It's expensive here. Like New York has made me the bitch that I am today. I thought Detroit, listen, and I love, I'm a, I will always be a Detroiter. I thought Detroit shaped me. No. New York City has shaped me, baby. I can go anywhere in the world and make it. Like, you, it's a certain type of, uh, je say quoi here that's just, like, it's hardcore and it's fucking genuine and it's filthy and it's, like, it's fast-paced, but it's creative and it's, it's community. It's fucking New York City, bro. Like, yeah, so I struggled here for a year, cried every day, and at the year, year mark, I started getting fucking gigs, like legit. People were like, yo, I fucked with you heavy. Like, come do this commercial, come do this billboard. And I started getting a lot of work. Then COVID hit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And snatched all that away. So then I had to struggle with COVID and like, do I go back to Detroit? And da 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 da. And <laughs> y'all almost left New York. And I'm so glad that I didn't leave New York during COVID because I was teetering, honey, teetering. Because I was like, I don't have an income and New York is expensive as fuck. Um, so yeah, I think that, um, yeah, moving here has taught me a lot. Uh, I tried to be a part of the blogger community here, the influencer community here, the plus size one. And I will say that it is shit. Uh, a lot of the influencers and models here, plus size, I'm talking about the plus size ones, are um, trash. A lot of them are super fake. Um, I've reached out to, I think all the, all your faves, I've reached out to, I think the majority of them wanting to create community, wanting to, uh, collaborate, wanting to just meet them and just say, Hey, I'm here. Like, let's collaborate. Let's talk. And for the most part, I would say 98% of them are really just clicky, um, classes, uh, fat phobic, even the plus size ones be fat phobic. You'd be like, Oh, well, damn, I thought, cause, cause you kind of plus size too, but it, hey, fuck me. Hey, so I always tell people I'm like the black sheep of the uh, plus size uh, modeling community because they, it's just not it. Like even the LA uh, bloggers and models, plus size models also trash. It's really sad. And I think at some point I'm going to get more into my influencer journey and my blogger journey. But for now, I just want to keep it kind of light, uh, shady steel, but light. Because I don't understand, like, why plus the plus-size community can't get it together. Uh, I don't think it's that difficult to be, like, I don't know, nice, decent, um, community-driven. But, you know, fuck me, whatever. Anyway, um, so I had to basically move through New York with whoever's going to fuck with me, I fuck with them. Like, it, it came down to that. Whether you're an influencer, blogger, whether you have a million followers or two, I didn't give a fuck. Like, I, it, it really just came down to who do I fuck with? in this industry, who's cool, who's genuine, who just genuinely want to create and make a fucking difference. That's it. Like, I don't care about your followers and stuff like that. Um, and so, yeah, I started, you know, I've been on billboards in LA. I've been in, on, in, in billboards in, in London. I've done, I've been flown out first class, uh, all over, uh, to do work and commercials. I work, I've worked with brands that I would have never dreamed of. And it's all because baby Leah V, uh, had a dream and she had hope and she had people kind of helping her along the way, pushing her forward 
Um, and she was her own cheerleader, honestly. And I think that she saw things that maybe other people, no, no, she saw things that, that other people didn't see. And I, I am kind of struggling every day to find that spirit again, because right now I'm, I'm going through this, I'm going through this moment where I don't know who I want to be. I don't know who I want, um, the world to see me as like, I have an idea, but right now everything's kind of fucked up. Um, I haven't really been on set since June. Um, I don't really get casting calls anymore. I've been dropped by an agency. I dropped another agency that I feel like just was fat phobic and they just weren't helping me get to the level that I want to be. And so right now I'm just like, you don't have an income. <laughs> You're, uh, the fattest you've ever been. You're the fattest you've ever been. You are older in this industry, you know, where they are ageist and they want, you know, 22-year-old small fats. Um, I'm surrounded by a bunch of influenced TikTokers and shit and, and people trying to do the fucking TikTok dances and shit instead of talking about real things. I'm surrounded by, you know, mid-size and... and tall and and mixed race and white uh size 10 models who who just don't care about anything but getting that second row at new york fashion week they don't care about the community they don't care about talking about the real issues that 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 are in this community and i can't be a part of a community i can't be a part of that anymore and so you know i'm kind of officially resigning from being an influencer and I'm kind of officially resigning from being, you know, a plus size model because no one gives a fuck and I don't give a fuck about them at this point. Um, I did what I needed to do in the community and it's been a wild ride, but I feel like there are other industries that need Leah V and that would appreciate Leah V and that would cultivate Leah V and the modeling industry and the influencing industry is not that for me, um, which is hard because that's all I kind of know, you know, but I have two master's degrees. Like I have a third novel coming out. Like I am writing a script and now I'm doing a fucking podcast. Um, and I'm so proud of those things. Uh, so yeah. I think we'll leave it there. <laughs> We're going to leave it there. Um, wow. Thank you for listening to this. And I can't wait to see where this podcast takes us. Um, yeah. So I'll see you guys next time. <laughs> Bye.